Hello. We are out a walk in the moonlight. And, uh, you know, if you've been listening, you know how much fun I have with moon shadows. But our moon shadow tonight is just very precise. The moon is, I think, full. One, maybe one more night till it's full. And I have my wife to walk with me, and uh, we are going to take a little walk and then go home and read uh, The Lord of the Rings with the kids. And so this is our aping the dishes and uh, continuing, continuing the podcast. The this is the second part. Um, the the first part. I, I've really been looking a lot at the question of what can you do if you don't want something, but you want to want it. Um, is that is that possible? Is it possible to to look rationally at something that you want or, or something that would benefit your life and choose to I mean we, we know that with the will you can choose to do it um, that's that's very possible the problem is that some some things seem like they aren't It's not the same just to make yourself do it. So you you could you could habituate yourself to kind of anything. You could you could keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, and till it was normal to do it. But I don't think there's anybody who would who would see that as being the same as what we would typically talk about in terms of an emotional response of wanting to. And and so the the idea that I introduced in their last talk is that if it is possible, and I'm I'm still not sure, I, I think that I think you can make a very good argument that you know you either want it or you don't you can you can discipline or habituate yourself to it but you can't you can't change what you want and i i think that's a, a coherent argument maybe maybe i'm seeking a different answer because i'm afraid that that is actually the way it is but at the same time, I think it is possible to, to, it might be possible. Okay, so the first part of this discussion was looking at the difference between the two, sort of the two positive emotion systems in your brain. I, I, I'm not sure that they're the only two, but... The, the main ones, or the, the way to look at it, 
um, that, that is sort of simple, but it seems to be provide some uses, is that there is a pathway of, of or receptors for serotonin, and serotonin is the positive emotion that you get as you complete things and have achieved what you want and you're satisfied and so you you can sort of shut down that part of you so um if if you looked at being hungry you get hungry and you're very motivated to find something to eat and this part of you the hunger part of you wakes up and is very active and then it gets food and it goes away it, it, it's put to bed the hungry you goes away until hunger comes again and there could be a rational part of you that says oh i better get to work because i'm gonna have to eat later but but the hungry part of you is taken care of and it's like it it, it goes it recedes into the back it goes to sleep it it no longer has to motivate you and that's the nature of serotonin is that as you have serotonin, it it tells you all is right with the world, all of your expectations have been met, and uh, nothing is really required of you, you're at peace. Which is a good feeling, but it's not a super exciting feeling. Okay, the exciting feeling comes from the, from the dopamine receptors. The dopamine is emitted when you are striving for that goal and are moving towards it but haven't reached it. And so it's kind of, it, it, it excites you. It, it delights you because you're getting closer, but it also energizes you. It doesn't put you to sleep. It, it energizes you to, to go, go, go. And that energy is is a positive emotion um and and so one of the ideas that i had or the first idea i had is is what happens if you regularly do those things which you know you can succeed um and this has to do with with how you might shift something that you wanted to want from a serotonin circuit into a dopamine circuit. And it's it's such a... I think it has some use, so I'm going to repeat it um, because it, it, it takes some... It takes some things to wrap your mind around it. So if you spent a lot of time thinking of my last one, then you might not want this summary. But what I presented was the idea that that what if you, what if you could make, you could stand right under the basket and make every shot, well, close to every shot, 90, 90% reliability, you could throw the basketball up and get it in. Well, that would be pretty good. But when you made that shot with the basketball, you're, you're, you made a prediction and you made the shot, and all is right with the world. 
And so it would it would seem that what you would be describing is is kind of the serotonin circuit. It's like, yep, yep, it's what I expected to happen. It's what happened. I don't need to change what I'm doing. I don't need to pursue anything. I met my goal, and I'm satisfied. So you would have you would have a great deal of satisfaction, particularly with you know ninety plus percent. But but imagine then that you're the basketball player and and you step back just just far enough that you usher in uncertainty. And and let's say you step back just far enough that it takes you pretty much regularly it takes you one, two, three shots before you make it. So so you you pick a new place and you take the first shot and it it kind of misses and the second one kind of bounces off the rim and by the third one you've adjusted enough and so you make it and then you miss a couple and you make it but my my hypothesis is that by stretching yourself you would have you would move from being 90% accurate to being only 30% accurate which would seem like it would be a diminishing of the serotonin circuit, but it would be, the result would be that as those attempts you made got closer and closer and and, and you approached success, that you would get excited and that it would turn you into somebody who looks forward to the challenge um, who, who is, has, instead of this serotonin that sort of puts you, makes you satisfied, all is right with the world, shut down. Instead, it would turn you the same endeavor attempted at slightly higher than your ability would turn you into somebody who, who gets excited about approaching your goal. Now, I do think that it would be very possible to, to you're making the shot right under the basket and then you immediately jump to the, the top of the, you know, to the three-point line. And you could go from saying, no, no, I, I'd much rather make every shot than, than only make one in 10 or one in 20. Okay, so you could, you could bite off too much but it does seem like there's a possibility of, of making a dramatic change if you were to if you were to purposely push yourself and as that comes to this possibility of wanting to want something maybe maybe you could become somebody who is I don't know everything that makes up want but it it seems like something that you are disciplined and habituating yourself to that you're getting used to it could actually be something you're excited about because you have built a neural connection between the dopamine circuit and whatever activity that is and I think that is 
a reliable and kind of predictable um, undertaking. I, I, I don't think I'm stretching this too far. Usually, if you have a consistent burst of dopamine, you will train yourself um, into into the situation and, and it will become something you want. As a matter of fact, um, an idea suggested by Jordan Peterson that I think really bears out some attention is um, he, he was looking at, at addicts who, um, or no, he was hypothesizing. This isn't part of his clinical practice, but he was saying, look at the person who knows that they shouldn't um, knows that it that it's it's problematic for them to use um, alcohol, and they say I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do. And then they say, Ah, uh, who cares? I'm going to do it. And boom, they get a hit of of what they like because alcohol does participate in the dopamine circuit. And so they then they go for a while, totally different situation, totally different set of people. And they're like, no, no, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't do it. I probably wouldn't be good, whatever. Ah, uh, what the hell? And they do it again. And, I mean, I use that as slang, but I use that almost as a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, what the hell? I'll do it. And pretty soon they are trapped because that dopamine has had that reward system. They have specifically been rewarded for saying, oh, what the hell. And that is, um, that may be an instance of, of simply dopamine reward turning something into I don't know if you would call it a want, but it certainly, I think it would be appropriate to call it a craving. So, that is all review, and we're at our turnaround point. Um, so, I want to I go to one other place. It is, so let, let me give you as a, a super, super low resolution understanding of epigenetics. Okay, epigenetics is something that is quite new and quite remarkable. Um, epigenetics is the, the understanding that we recently gained that your body will, will have genetic coding for information for, to, to build certain structures, certain proteins that won't get turned on until you're in the situation that needs them. And then that situation will occur and you need that genetic material or, or, or you need the, the, those structures so, and your body will, will produce them, which is amazing. But the amazing thing that... that it goes one step further that is that if you turn on some of the some 
not unlimited, but, but since we didn't even know it existed, we can't say with any certainty how deep this process is. But if you turn on certain, certain uh, genetic information, genetic coding, you can pass it on to your children. So, so if you grew up in an environment with a particular stress which caused your body to produce a particular uh, protein, that your kids will get that. Let me, this, is, this makes sense to me, it may not to you, but it's an it's a illustration for the military. Okay, so in, uh, we'll say I, I was in, in, the, um, in the 90s. And so there's a lot of a lot of stuff that was still sort of harkening back to Vietnam, and so you would you would get um, let's say let's say you were you were going out to the field and you went out to the field and things were just absolutely bug infested. You were just you you couldn't sleep. You couldn't do anything because there was just so many. So many mosquitoes and other, other bugs. So, so imagine this soldier. He, he comes back, or, or this squad leader. You know, he's taking his soldiers out there, and it was just a just a hateful time in the field. And he comes back and he says, "You know what we need is is we need some mosquito netting." So he goes to the supply sergeant. And he says, "Um, hey, hey, is there any any chance that that we could get?" Some some resources to try to make ourselves some some mosquito netting, and the supply sergeant would say, "Ah, uh, well, oddly enough, mosquito netting is part of our table of allowances. You're authorized a mosquito net, but nobody ever wants them." And and this this squad would say, "Well, we want them." And the, and the supply sergeant would say, well, that's no problem. I can, I can get you those easily. Okay, that would be like the epigenetics. It's like there's an authorization in your genetic that allows certain things to be made, but your body doesn't bother making it because there doesn't seem to be any demand for it. Okay, so, so then if we took the story a little bit longer, pretty soon everybody in the company is uh, is getting, you know, it's, this has just been a horrible year. There's mosquitoes everywhere. And everybody in the company is getting their their mosquito nets. They're grateful for them. They're glad that they are already pre-authorized, that they can get them. But then what happens is that a few years later, because of the rules written into it, the, the supply sergeant is still issuing mosquito nets. And people are like, well, why are we getting these mosquito nets and none of the other companies? And that would be a vestige of a need that had been woken up, and now it became part of how they were equipped. So that would be like epigenetics, um, epigenetics being passed on to a, a generation and actually dramatically changing 
You, you could change your children by by awakening, putting yourselves under these stresses that would cause you to be better equipped to deal with more things. Okay, that's the idea. So it it has a use, but maybe you can see how I look at it and it, it affirms this idea that maybe the optimal place for you is not at the point of 100% success. Maybe the optimal point is to be purposely under a, a wider variety of stressors. Because as you as you encounter these situations, as you, you encounter these these demands upon you, it isn't entirely clear how much you could improve. The definition of who you are, I mean, we could, we could kind of measure that, but we can't, we can't measure your potential. Now, we always knew that that was the case. How do you know how much somebody can, can improve? How do you know how much somebody can go? And so there seemed to be this incredible um, potential in humans that we that we saw as a potential in the the opportunities provided to them but what we didn't know is that this this potential exists and it can affect it can affect your biology how noticeably and how widely we don't really know but it's at this point that, that I think there may be some hope for wanting to want something. Okay, I think, I think that humans have the ability to, maybe it is to repress. The humans may have the ability to repress certain wants because there's a low likelihood of getting what they want. So, so I talked about my dog. My dog goes down and never gets a rabbit, but always goes and digs for a while under the car, hoping to get the rabbit. It wants it, and it, it can't play out in its mind. It doesn't have the development in the prefrontal cortex to, to play out the thing and say, you know what, I, I, I played this out a thousand times in this little simulation in my mind and I never get the rabbit, I'm just going to repress that desire. Instead, the dog says, oh, let's go get the rabbit. And, and you could say, well, that's just dogs, but dogs are pretty complex. So my dog, I, I mentioned this. He doesn't go down and dig for the rabbit alone because twice he's gotten stuck under the car. So the dog knows that it's not a good idea to go down there alone. But if it has the opportunity to go, it can't control this, this want. And so it's possible that we have, if you are satisfied with who you are, you sort of say, well, 
then there's all of, I'm accepting all of my limitations because as I accept my limitations, I increase the, the likelihood of success. Um, it goes up. So my, my, the times that I make the shot, so to speak, with the basketball, the times that I accomplish what I can accomplish, I want to improve those numbers. But it actually, the strategy of saying, you know what, I think I want to attempt things so that I fail. Not so that I fail, but attempt things in which failure is the occasional outcome. Both help you shift, want, that, that thing that you're disciplining yourself want, shift it into a dopamine um, a dopamine circuit that affirms that desire and possibly wakes up new new capacities within you that would be my best guess as to the possibility of uh, of going and, and wanting to want something. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I, it's not convincing completely. And yet, maybe it's, maybe it's interesting enough that it would be worth an experiment. Because the, the possibility of what you could become is, is absolutely amazing. So, anyway, that's my walk for tonight. And uh, the second part of this series. So I wish you happy trails and uh, look forward to when we talk again.